Today on Blue 58, the Packers have wrapped up their mandatory minicamp and now head into the deadest period of the NFL calendar. Let's take one last look at the team before their summer break, then dive into our first book discussion. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We're talking minicamp. We are talking linebackers. We are talking blood, sweat, and chalk today. So let's start talking. Some minicamp nuggets as the Packers head off to their dead period of the NFL calendar. They're going to be out and about for the next month and a half or so before coming back to Green Bay for training camp. And we will see who is a member of the team when they do. For right now, let's talk about who is actually on the field in Green Bay. A couple interesting nuggets. First, Jordan Love was bad. Now he is good. We talked about on the last episode how we shouldn't overreact to maybe some rough practice performances from Mr. Love. Same goes for the other direction here. Uh, the Packers had some good practices from Jordan Love over the next couple of days of training camp or minicamp. Uh, we shouldn't overreact to those either, though it is good to see him practicing well. Uh, it just goes to show how fickle success can be in the NFL, but it is good to see him putting up some some good performances and, and writing that narrative a little bit. Still want to see some actual game performances from him, so let's get excited for preseason football here in just a couple of months. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Packers now have a fifth one in addition to Aaron Rodgers, in addition to Jordan Love, in addition to Blake Bortles and Kurt Benkert. The Packers now have Jake Dolagala on the roster, a fifth quarterback. He is a third-year former undrafted free agent who played at Central Connecticut State University for his college ball, go Blue Devils. The thing you need to know about Jake Dolagala is that he is very tall, six foot seven, two 242 pounds, big dude, also has pretty large hands, 11 and 1 eighth inches, even if for those fake measurements that they use to come up with a hand size or any anywhere close to being accurate. Those are some big old paws you got there, Jake. He seems to be pretty much only tall, though. Reading through his scouting report, uh, seems like a moderately high ceiling kind of guy just because of physical traits, but because of some issues like with accuracy, things like that, uh, he there are some reasons that he went undrafted. Still, an interesting story. Uh, was getting some Division One AA looks uh, in college, but in the first game, or in high school rather, in the first game of his senior season, uh, he tore up his shoulder, making a tackle after throwing an interception, the third series of the game. So he misses his entire senior season. Any college interest just kind of evaporates from there, ends up having to go to junior college, gets, a, gets an offer from Central Connecticut State University, uh, shows up to Buffalo's Pro Day, and uh, from there, it's kind of just been a long and winding road toward the NFL, and now he's getting an opportunity with the Packers. He probably doesn't have much of a chance to make the Packers. If Aaron Rodgers returns, he or Kurt Bankert, he meaning Adolikala, not Rodgers, uh, he or Kurt Benkert is getting the door pretty much immediately. The Packers aren't going to keep five quarterbacks on the roster with Aaron Rodgers around. But if he can make enough of an impression between now and then, whenever that is, uh, he may have a shot at ending up on the practice squad or getting another look with another NFL team. So big opportunity for him. 
Finally, Jace Sternberger is going to be suspended for the first couple games uh, of the 2021 season. Uh, This is a substance abuse suspension, not PED stuff. And the reason why came out later in the day as the... um, as the, the news cycle sort of wore on, Sternberger himself made a statement on Twitter, quote, in February 2020, I made a horrible decision. While on antidepressants, I decided to drink, which led to me falling asleep behind the wheel. My coaches and teammates were the first people to know. I want to apologize to the Green Bay Packers organization and everyone else who has supported me along this journey. It is never okay to drink and get behind the wheel over the past 16 months. I've been going to a therapy or going to therapy and con- to continuously working to be a better person. I will never ignore my mistakes. I have owned up to my poor decision and accept the consequences. So that is a good ownership of mistakes, I would say. Practically speaking, this is I think going to be a tough thing for him to overcome uh, as far as his football career in Green Bay. Uh, the realities of his situation with the Packers is that he has been um, been in, but been behind the eight ball. Let's put it that way. Uh, due first to a concussion, then to COVID nineteen, he has had a heck of a time getting to the field and staying on it once he's there. This is just the latest in a in a series of setbacks for him, and in an offense where it doesn't seem like he has a clear role to play, not being available is a is a big blow to his prospects. Nevertheless, it's good that he is safe. Please follow his advice. Do not get behind the wheel if you've been drinking at all. And I hope that he is able to grow from this and, you know, continue his career in a productive way. Let's talk about linebackers. I got some questions after last week's episode that came out on Friday about boom or bust players. A couple people in our Discord server and elsewhere uh, asked or or wondered why I hadn't mentioned any linebackers as potential boom or bust players. And there's there's some reasons for that. Uh, first, I don't know if the Packers have any linebackers on their roster or didn't at the time, even with Devondre Campbell on the roster now. I don't know if they have any linebackers that are really, really capable of a boom season. What's the highest ceiling linebacker on the Packers defense right now. Probably Kamal Martin, I guess. He's a fifth round pick heading into year two, who had some serious growing to do last year. But they just don't seem to have any guys that are that are capable of putting up a really big, impactful season. On top of that, the Packers historically have not asked all that much from their inside linebackers. That was kind of the the upside to Blake Martinez not making a ton of plays. He didn't have a lot of sacks, he didn't have a lot of interceptions, didn't force a lot of fumbles, didn't make plays at all in the in the passing game, uh, just getting a hand on the ball or even being like an outstanding coverage sort of guy. He was just there doing the workmanlike work that they needed him to do, showing up, being in the right spot, doing all of those sorts of things. That was the big upside to him. Because the Packers don't ask their inside linebackers to do a whole lot. But that was then, this is now. The Packers have an inside linebacker coach as their defensive coordinator. What are they going to ask from those linebackers this year? Even if one of those inside linebackers is not 
what I would consider a boomer bust player for the Packers this year, they're still going to have a role on this defense. So what is that role going to be? What do linebackers do in the Joe Barry defense? Let's unravel that question a little bit. So Joe Barry ended up in Green Bay because he is nominally a part of the Vic Fangio coaching tree. He coached most recently under Brandon Staley, now the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, who learned his defense from Vic Fangio. What does a linebacker do in the Brandon Staley version of the Vic Fangio scheme? First, we've got to talk about the hallmarks of Staley's scheme. He is an interesting guy in NFL circles because of how he chooses to build his defenses. Most teams start close to the ball and build out from there. That is, you're going to scheme your defensive linemen first, then your linebackers, and then your coverage is behind them. Staley does that kind of in reverse. He starts with his coverages, then works on his pass rush, then kind of fits his linebackers in behind that. That may sound like linebackers may not have a lot to do in this defense, but Staley also plays very light defenses which means that more often than not, he's just going to have one linebacker on the field. Often he'll have three down linemen, either shifted way wide or way tight. He uses safeties to fill wide gaps when the line is in tight, like everybody lined up no wider than the outside shoulder of the guard. And then he uses an inside linebacker to fill gaps when his defensive linemen are lined up wide. So what does that mean for the Packers? I think this means that the Packers need to be more versatile than ever before with their linebackers that they have. And I'm not sure they can skimp on size this year. Specifically, this means some interesting things for the the linebackers they do have. For Chris Barnes, I think his moderate athleticism is going to be a bigger issue the fewer linebackers the Packers use. Staley slash Joe Barry linebackers don't need to be outstanding playmakers, but they do have to be able to get to specific spots and fill specific run fits quickly. For all his benefits, for all his merits that we saw from Barnes last year, he is not an outstanding athlete, though pretty good, not outstanding. He's also pretty small, six foot two, two 229 pounds. And while you'd think that would lead to more speed, that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case with Barnes. He is a little bit, I think, behind the eight ball if the Packers are just going to run one one linebacker schemes. Kamal Martin, I think if he can be a little bit more consistent, may have an opportunity to really shine in this scheme. Coverage was kind of his game coming out of Minnesota. We didn't really see that much last year, but if he can run and occasionally cover, he might have some opportunities to really get some playing time this year. Against the run, though, that's where they may have problems. He was a bit of a guesser against the run game last year, and you could see him processing and just guessing wrong in a few games. I think Houston comes to mind specifically last year. But that is in a different scheme. Mike Pettin ran a very read-and-react sort of scheme. Uh, He did what we call or what we've referred to in the past as a lot of two-gapping, especially on the defensive line, and that requires both the the defensive linemen and the linebackers playing behind them to make reads, to make fills against the run. And Kamal Martin was not good at that. He did not have a lot of success doing that for the Packers last year. So if he can just 
be in a scheme where he just has to run to one spot, get there fast, and come with bad intentions when he does, this could be a really good defense for him if he can cover and if he can make those reads correctly. Devondre Campbell might actually be the clubhouse leader to participate in this kind of role last year or this year. We talked about how he was kind of just a workmanlike linebacker for first the Falcons and then the Cardinals. I think that would be a great role to have him play for the Packers. Even if he can't cover all that well, even if he doesn't grade out well against making decisions in the run game, if the Packers just need a guy who is fairly big, fairly athletic to get to a spot and fill a gap in the run game, Devondre Campbell might be your guy. And you can see approaching it at least from that perspective, why the Packers might be interested. There's also some connections to Matt LaFleur dating back to both of their time in Atlanta. Uh, I wouldn't put too much stock into that, but it is interesting that uh, Campbell noted that uh, in his presser this week. Uh, Oren Burks, I don't think we have to talk about a whole lot, but I guess kind of similar to Kamal Martin, if you just need him to just get to a spot and be a body, this might be his opportunity. Because if anything is true about Oren Burks, he's very athletic. I mean, you can't get too upset with the guy uh, for his athletic ability. Uh, He has not been great at processing things when he is on the field, but if he can just run and hit and they can make that simple for him, he may have a role in this defense. I'm not holding out a lot of hope, but you can see the path there. Isaiah McDuffie and Ty Summers, to finish this off here, are kind of two different versions of the same sort of player. Both are a little bit small for linebackers. Uh, McDuffie, 6'1", 227. Summers, 6'1", 240-ish. They're both athletic enough to make a difference. I don't know if I've seen enough of either of them. Well, certainly not McDuffie, but either of them to have any confidence with them playing alone in the middle of the defense as the single linebacker in, uh, in a Joe Barry scheme. So that, I think, is a brief overview of what linebackers could do for Barry and the Packers. I wouldn't count on seeing a lot of, like, Kamal Martin and Chris Barnes or Barnes and Campbell or Campbell and Martin playing together this year. Uh, Though Barry does say he wants to play a 3-4 base, uh, you are not going to see a lot of 3-4 looks with two inside linebackers on the field this year. I think we're still going to see safeties in the box and uh, a lot of things like that, which leads you to some more concern, um, given that Will Redmond seems to be the the leader to take over that role this year. I don't know how you can be uh, anything other than a little bit wary about Will Redmond getting more opportunities on the Packers' defense, given what we've seen in his relatively brief Packers' career. But I am willing to be wrong on that. Let's talk about take your eye off the ball. We are about to dive into our 2021 book discussion after doing Blood, Sweat, and Chalk last year, or excuse me, Take Your Eye Off the Ball last year. We're doing Blood, Sweat, and Chalk this year. I wrote that down in my notes incorrectly. We are doing Blood, Sweat, and Chalk by Tim Layden uh, this year after doing Take Your Eye Off the Ball by Pat Kerwin last year. Um, But first, I should say, if you want to get more in-depth with the discussion about this book, please join our Patreon, patreon.com slash thepowersweep, any amount of contribution there will help you get more involved in this discussion around this book if you would like to do that. How? Well, you will have access to our Discord server where we have a special channel set up to talk about the book itself. So join us, throw in a buck or five bucks or ten bucks or however much you want and uh, support the mission that we're on here at the Power Sweep 
and uh, get involved with a little behind-the-scenes bonus content like discussion of this book as well. Today I'd like to shout out Tom Richmond, Amanda, who did not give us a last name, and Russell Shoemaker, each of whom has been a patron of the Power Sweep since 2020. Thank you for your support, and thank you to everybody who has chosen to support us there. So let's talk about Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, Chapter 1. Chapter 1's about the single-wing offense. And before we talk about the single wing, just want to note that we're going to do one chapter every Thursday for the first three weeks or so. It's going to give anybody who hasn't gotten their books yet a chance to get up to speed and get involved here. Overall impressions of this chapter, I love that it starts with with the single wing. Love that we start off this book about the schematic history of football, talking about an ancient offense. Because I think this illustrates a few really important things about understanding football. The importance of history, the importance of strategy and tactics, and the importance of maximizing what your team can do well. If you can do those things, you have embraced a few really great equalizers for your team. The guys that are the biggest and the strongest and the fastest, who can throw the ball the farthest, who can catch it the best, are always going to have advantages. I think everybody understands that. But that is not all that football is. There is strategy. There is history involved. There is understanding where you fit in with those things and maximizing what you can do within them. And the single wing and its apparent endurance is a great example of how that can work out few interesting details from this chapter. I love that Amos Alonzo Stagg gets a mention. Look up his Wikipedia page when you get a chance. He brought in so many different things, so many additions to the game of football that you'd think it's made up, but he invented or began popularizing things as basic as having numbers on jerseys. Imagine just seeing a game without numbers on jerseys today. Nobody would have any idea what was going on. We just take it as, as you know part of the furniture here. But uh, somebody had to come up with it and popularize it, and that was him, Amos Alonzo Stagg at the University of Chicago. I love the note early on that the single wing was born out of a goal of spreading out defenses, and I think that really speaks and demonstrates the cyclical nature of football. Even back then, even when football was, was barely 40 or 50 years old, I think we are in a similar period today, but it's kind of going in reverse. We're kind of shifting a little bit back to tighter football, being able to take advantage of lighter defenses and smaller defenses, lighter boxes. Those are going to lead to bigger offenses. We've seen that with the Packers' philosophical approach. We saw that with what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl uh, a few years back against the Los Angeles Rams. Big football is coming back a little bit, Uh, but I also think you see these cycles getting shorter and faster as football history wears on. So who knows? Soon we'll probably be swinging back to even wider, faster-paced football again. The Carlisle Indians get a mention here, which is a great little footnote in football history and a sad little footnote in American history. Look them up as well. There are not a ton of great football resources on them. But a good place to get started is the book Undefeated, Jim Thorpe and the Carlisle Indians Indians by Steve Scheineken. Uh, he notes in that book that Carlisle ran the single wing uh, under Pop Warner for similar reasons to the high school team uh, that Layden uses in the opening anecdote of this of this game. They didn't have really sort of any passing game because it was the early 1900s and passing the ball wasn't a thing yet. So it, it wasn't even that they didn't have an accurate passer. They just, nobody passed the ball. 
Uh, they also didn't have a lot of size, but they did have world-class speed, literal world-class speed in Jim Thorpe, an Olympic sprinter, uh, and one of the great athletes, if not the greatest athlete of the 20th century. Uh, so that book, in addition to exploring a number of other uh, very significant historical things, talks about how Carlisle was able to perform pretty well against some some pretty world-class football teams uh, just by running this odd, slightly slightly odd offense uh, with some world-class athletes, including Jim Thorpe. Uh, so check that out and uh, explore that chapter of football history as well. Uh, they make mention in this chapter of Bill Belichick talking about punting before fourth down as being a, a hallmark of the conservative era of football in which the single wing was popular. Interesting that Bill Belichick would mention that because using uh, Pro Football Reference's Play Finder tool, I could find nine instances of teams punting on a down other than fourth down since 1994. That's as far back as the play index goes, but it gets us almost 30 years. Three of those times have been the New England Patriots. I wish we had more stuff like this because I think the specialization of the kicking game has been one of the most boring developments in football history. Yeah, it's great that you have guys that can make, you know, 50-yard field goals and whatnot. But it, it kind of takes away from the overall skill level of individual players if you just have one guy whose only job is kicking the ball or punting the ball. It'd be great if, say, someone like Aaron Jones was also counted upon to be the Packers kicker or had to be counted upon because you can't use specialists to kick the ball. It would change strategy so much, and it would, I think, make the game more interesting because you'd have less teams settling for field goals on fourth down and one from, like, the 37. It's it's boring. I want to see an actual play in that situation. Uh, it's great to get points, but it's more exciting to watch actual plays. Uh, on page 22, you get a mention of the Michigan Mad Magicians. And I think that's interesting because it shows, and really this is what this book is all about, it shows how ideas spread in football. So the single wing ended up at Michigan. They don't even mention this guy in the book. It ended up there because of Fred uh, Fritz Chrysler, who had come to Michigan from Princeton. It's actually an interesting story how he ended up at Michigan. He was a successful coach at Princeton already. Michigan has an, an opening. They call him up and say, do you want to coach at Michigan? He does not really want to do it. So they just say, name your price. What's it going to take to get you here? And he names, I, I didn't find the figure, uh, but he just says something that he thinks is outrageous. He just says, it'll cost this much money for me to go there. And Michigan just kind of pauses for a second and says, okay. And that's how he ends up at Michigan. And that is the reason that Michigan wears those winged football helmets that they wear today. He brought that over from Princeton. And Princeton goes on to get several other mentions in this chapter as well. But Chrysler is of note because he played his college football at the University of Chicago, where he picked up the single wing offense playing under Amos Alonzo Stagg. And he went on to pass on this offense to other football coaches who passed it on to other coaches who helped it grow throughout the NFL, throughout college football, throughout high school football, and even to today. There are still good examples of single-wing football going on in colleges and high schools today, spe specifically college, or specifically high school, that is. In our Discord, I'm going to post a couple of video links of guys playing single-wing uh, football, even as recently as there's one highlight package I looked at today uh, from 2012, 2013. It is not dead. 
And uh, as they noted in the in the chapter, coaches didn't stop playing the single wing because it stopped working. They just stopped using it because it went out of fashion. And that is a a good lesson, I think, as we we kind of wrap up discussion on this chapter for for innovation, how we should think about it. Innovation is good. Innovation for the sake of innovation is can be destructive, can take you away from things that actually work pretty darn well. And that is something I think that is worth bearing in mind uh, as we watch football continue to evolve. It's great to be innovative. It's bad to do things just because you feel like you have to, to feel like everyone else is doing them. And I think that's a good lesson for even me to keep in mind as we approach things or think about things like criticizing draft classes. Yes, as the NFL is presently constituted, it may seem like bad value to take a running back in the second round in 2020 and an H-back in the round after that. That could be innovation for innovation's sake, or it could be just looking back at things that have worked in the past and saying that can still work. Maybe it's not as efficient as, as some offenses throughout the NFL, but maybe it's not entirely crazy either. Always worth keeping in mind. So I've got for you in this episode. Appreciate you listening in. Again, if you want to get involved in this discussion around uh, chapter one of Take Your Eye Off the Ball, the Blue 58 Discord server is where you want to be, and you get there by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Join us there if you please. Uh, if you don't want to go that route for supporting us, that's fine. Uh, one of the best things you can do is share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show, get more people involved here, and ultimately help all of us through helping each other become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.